You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er fam, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features entertainment attorney Gerard Anthony. Gerard founded his own firm, Anthony Law Group, and serves as general counsel for Afropunk, the wildly popular arts festival that features live music, film, fashion, and art produced by Black artists. Afropunk has taken place in a number of cities across the globe and continues to grow. And Gerard is in the thick of it, negotiating performance contracts and other sponsorship and content agreements. But it wasn't easy to break into the entertainment industry. Gerard not only had to overcome the usual barriers to entering what has always been a very exclusive club, but he also had to fight through certain biases toward where he chose to go to law school. But despite all that, Gerard used persistent, artful networking and carved a lane for himself in the business. And he's just getting started. So here's his story. As always, please enjoy. Gerard, welcome to the December 26th of podcast. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you're here too. Because <laughs> like we had a little bit of conversation before we pressed record and we have very similar journeys. Yes. Um, know some of the same people, which always makes for a great conversation when you have those mutual connections. So 100%. I'm excited about this one. Plus you just have moved in the same space that I have <laughs> career-wise. So yes. there's a certain uh, relatability there that I don't get with every guest. So mm-hmm. it makes for uh, an easier, shall I say, <laughs> interview for me because yeah. I know right. without even asking some of the things that you've been through. So, right. right. So I'm excited. I'm excited about this. Me too. So let's get into it. Who is Gerard Anthony? Um... A black man. <laughs> hey, I like that. Uh, creative and an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, a husband, a son, and a brother. Awesome. So I'm going to, of course, I'm going to pull out the attorney piece. Yeah. <laughs> first. Uh, one of the questions that people often ask me is, when did you know you wanted to be an attorney? Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. you, was that like a lifelong dream? Uh, when did I know I wanted to be an attorney? Um, hmm. I read Johnny Cochran's book in college, um, and that was pretty motivating. And so it was a a combination of that. And then also I grew up, which a lot of Black people probably have this story where you hear your parents talking about their music idols and people that they love listening to. But then they also give you the, oh, but Barry Gordy owned all the rights to this song or this person had all this money and then they lost it. So kind of getting that behind the music uh, type of feel at home always interested me in what the business and the legal side of music was. And then when I went to law school, when we started learning about intellectual property, specifically trademark and copyright, that's when I realized I was like, oh, this is a great way to marry these things that I love, which is like the not just music, but like the business side of music, which all uh, with the law as well, too. So I was probably say really um, probably about early college. I knew I wanted to go to law school, but I knew I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer and work in music um, about midway through law school. So where were you at law school? I went to Campbell Law School, which is a small law school in Raleigh, North Carolina. It used to be in literally the middle of nowhere. This place called Bowie's Creek. Oh, wow. and then my that second year, country, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I know. And then uh, my second year, it moved to um, downtown Raleigh, which is where uh, my parents live. Got so, it. so um, we keep it all the way one hundred. One hundred. Yeah. So of course. having been in that law school trajectory, yeah, I know that. People choose schools for the opportunities that right. um, 
that come after that. Yes. And while I've met lawyers from law schools all over who are incredible lawyers, there are snap judgments about yes. where people went to school and whether they yeah. know your school, yeah. whether you're in top 20, they don't know my tier school. one, whatever. <laughs> so coming out, right? And when right. you're at the larger schools, that's where a lot of major firms flock for interviews. Like, right. you know, we all know about OCI and all that yep. other stuff. Yep. But coming out of a smaller school, did you find it challenging to really launch your career in an effective way? Uh, absolutely. So I would say, you know, going back to my last year at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, I'm a Tar Hill, got to get that in. But um, I didn't, I don't know how much thought I put into law school as far as where it would place me as far as like entertainment. Um, Cause I don't think I, I just knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. So I hadn't thought that far out yet. Um, and while Campbell is a fantastic law school, definitely well-known in North Carolina. It means zilch <laughs> in uh, New York. And I was definitely reminded of that uh, when I got here. Funny enough, two of my close friends um, and one that actually works in music and is really my best friend here in New York. Um, they also went to Campbell and they're and they're um, they're here as well, too. So one works in the music industry. And so it's interesting. You know, it's, I kind of feel like we're the standard bearers yeah. for our school as far as the entertainment in the entertainment space. So I, I somewhat take pride in that. But as far as the difficulty, yeah, 100%. I mean, I've had, I had one attorney, an older attorney tell me like, she's like, oh, like, where, where is this school? Like, you might want to go back to um, law school and get an LLM or go to NYU, some school with some name recognition and get an LLM, which to me, I'm like, oh, and like more, more student loans. That just sounds, right. that just sounds crazy. But um, yeah, the name, the name game is definitely, is definitely part of, um, I guess, the dance that lawyers do when they meet each other. Mm -hmm. For sure. So did you come out of school and come to New York right away? No. So I came, I um, graduated law school. I started at a very small, um, really a, a patent firm, but it was an attorney who also did um, some trademark work and a little bit of copyright. So I did two intern, I did two intern internships there. And um and so when I finished law school, I was like, oh, well, I've already got, she had offered me a position. Mm -hmm. So I went there. But after probably about three or four months, I knew I wanted to get into entertainment. And so that's when I started trying to transition into, you know, what is my course to get into New York and then coming to New York with a job. Um, so it was kind of, it was, it was a winding, bending yeah. road like we, like most of us take. And then so about a year later, after, um, after passing the North Carolina bar, I moved to New Jersey, which is where um, my, all my extended family is, is in. And so um, I had a cousin of mine who was at a insurance broker and he was saying, hey, you know, I know you're looking for something in entertainment, but in the meantime, I know you just need to pay bills. We're looking for um, an attorney on the team. And so that's how I kind of got into some of the corporate stuff, which is where I started at. But um, at the same time, when I was doing that, I was basically like, that was the nine to five. And then five to nine was, you know, going to shows, meeting people, networking, um, interviewing, trying to find opportunities. And then a year later, so now we're in 2014, I took the New York bar and passed as well, too. So then once I passed the New York bar, that's when I was like, OK, now I'm ready to start really presenting myself and trying to interview at New York firms and all this other stuff. Um, so it kind of was a little bit of a winding road um, getting up, getting up here. But like I said, I just wanted to make sure that I had the New York bar exam under my belt yeah. um, as well, too. So there was no limitations on me being able to practice. Right. And it's, it's interesting. I think one of the, the misnomers about 
entertainment law work right. is that you have the credentials. Right. You're a capable attorney. You just kind of stroll into the industry, break in and, and get a position. Right. And a lot of it is, it's like pushing a mixtape or trying to get signed, like having to be on the scene and build relationships. Like even yes. though you are an, an accomplished, credentialed right. attorney, yeah. you're still like out here trying to get put on basically right. like a rapper or yeah. something. It really means it's the same way in rap where you say like, oh, this person needs a cosign mm-hmm. or this person has a cosign. That's kind of how the, that's exactly how it works for attorneys too. to a certain is, is like either your cosign can be, oh, I'm with this huge law firm or your cosign is I have this huge client right. or your cosign is, oh, I work at the label or I work at the radio station. So it's kind of the same way where people don't really take you seriously even though you have the skill set, you have the know-how, you know the right connections until you kind of have a stamp right. that the industry, that the entertainment industry feels is official. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really get that a certain level of credibility. Yeah, I remember like this was early in my career um, and I had done like a couple of things. I had made some connects but I had gotten a phone interview with like a boutique entertainment firm that was mm-hmm. doing business. Like, right. So I I know how to get to an, an interview, like, you know, get through an interview. I've right. had successful ones in my career. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is it. Like I had done my research. I knew right. the firm. I knew what they did. Um, I had done some work. I knew that I could draft contracts, negotiate. But I was like, this is my first year out. Right. And I remember like getting through that interview and the interview went well. And then the last question he asked me was, what does your book of business look like? Right. Like what what clients within entertainment can you bring here? Mm-hmm. And I had done like some one-off work. So I was kind of like, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. so it, in addition to like the the relationships in terms of like just who you know and getting that, getting that cosign. Right. People want to know like whether you have access to the money, like to the yes. paying clients who yes. are, are on their way up, about to blow, have already blown, which is different. It's very different than other areas of the law where you come in and you're trained. Correct. Um, and, you know, they they help you. They right. don't build book business no way, way later. So that was definitely um, a sobering moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me. I've had that. I've yes. had that same and, question before. Yeah. And had to go back to the drawing board a little bit. But right. um. But in any case, so you're here, you passed the New York bar. Correct. Then what does your journey look like? I passed the New York bar and I basically raised my hands. I'm like, hey, I'm open for I'm business. Here. Come I'm hire me. <laughs> Law firms, come hire me. Mm-hmm. Sending out a thousand emails. Nothing. Nothing. Like no no callbacks, barely any responses, um, nothing. But what I did is we had a crazy snowstorm in February of 2015. And I remember um, I was at my... Um, now wife, then girlfriend's place in Bed-Stuy. And I was, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to email every black entertainment attorney I can find on Google. And one of the um, first attorneys to email me back was this guy named Randall McMillan. Uh, Randall McMillan is now vice president of business development at BMI. And so um, actually, let's just clarify. BMI is one of the performance rights organizations um, similar to ASCAP. And so he emails me back and it's like, hey, you know, um, I have my own firm. Um, I'm not in a position to give you a position. You know, I'm not in a position to hire you, but I could also send you some work. I could train you. 
um, and kind of mentor you in deals and how and how things go. So Randall um, worked at he's he's a contemporary of and I'm sure we'll get to this later in the interview, but he actually went to Cornell with uh, Reggie Osei, who we all know as Combat Jack. And uh, Randall was an, another entertainment attorney. He worked at labels for, I want to say, about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he struck out on his on his own. And so Randall kind of took me under his wing, explained a lot of deals to me. But then also he gave me a lot of um, kind of gems and some life lessons that I implemented in my own practice. But the biggest one that he gave me, and I I've, I actually had lunch with him this past week, and I was, I was like, man, if you wrote a song, like I will owe you so much publishing because I've given, <laughs> I've told so many people this story over. But I went to his office one day and he had a bunch of names on the wall, maybe about 15 or 20 names on the wall. And I asked him, I said, hey, um, like, why do you have these? And I recognized some of the, it was like some artists, some business people. I, was, I recognized some of the names. I said, why do you have these names on the wall? And he said, I have these names on the wall because I want to remind myself that I need to stay in contact with these people. So I need to reach out to them either every two weeks, three weeks, check in once a month. And he said, the reason why I do that is because you'll find that in this business, um, you may speak to someone and you may have an ask of them or they may have an ask of you. And they may not have something for you today. Right. But if you build a rapport and a relationship, um, eventually something will come across their desk. And if you're on the forefront of their mind, they'll say, oh, I was just talking to Gerard and I know he was looking he was looking for something. And so I took that lesson home. I went home <laughs> right above my computer. I started with maybe like five or six names. Six names became like 20 names, became 40 names. And what I started to learn was just through following up with people and building a rapport that eventually they start checking in with you mm-hmm. and following up with you. And actually through that same practice, one of those people that was on that list was an attorney who's friends with a cousin of mine named Tamika Stembridge. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Tamika, who I know you know as well, she, when I moved to New York, she was working with Chris Lighton. Mm-hmm. And then after Chris Lighty's passing, she kind of took a step back from um, doing music. But unbeknownst to me, she was handling legal work for this festival named Afropunk. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't know, I actually didn't know of Afropunk um, you know, at, now, at like, the time. Ubiquitous, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, I actually had reached out to her because um, I was having a phone call with someone at Fox Rothschild, which is one of the big entertainment firms. And so I reached out to me and I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to have a phone call with this attorney um, from Fox Rothschild. Do you know her? I saw you guys connecting on Facebook. And she was like, oh yeah, I know her. She's a good person, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then about two weeks later, she calls me back and she's like, hey, just want to let you know, I'm getting ready to leave Afropunk for um, this not-for-profit opportunity. Would you be interested in taking over for me? And I was like, uh, yes. Say no more. Fam. Say no more. And so, I mean, that Friday I met with, Afropunk is basically run by Two owners, Matthew Morgan, who's one of the original founders, and then also um, Jocelyn Cooper, who a lot of people know. She worked in the music industry on the label side for a long time. Um, so a lot of people know her in her pre-Afropunk um, life as well, too. But I met with Jocelyn and um, she was like, you know, like your background coming from the insurance, doing the insurance thing, which at the time I thought had no bearing of anything like entertainment related. Right. But unbeknownst to me, insurance is probably the most part of For having any type event, of right. any type of major event. So that worked out well. And they said, hey, you know, we're going to kind of throw you in the fire for the first event. This is, so this is now we're in April of 2016. So Afropunk's big, large Brooklyn event, which is what they're most known for, is always the last weekend in 
August. And she said, hey, you know, we're going to kind of throw you in the fire for this one. And, you know, Tamika gave me a crash course, kind of got me up to speed. So um, went through, no no issues. And then uh, after that one, it was like, hey, you know, would you be interested in staying on for handling Atlanta as well, too? And I was like, Absolutely. So that's, you know, Atlanta 2016. And then when we got to the top of 2017, you know, they said, we're going to give you everything. So um, that was going back to where we started at. That was now like my stamp or the thing that people see on my resume or when I have these conversations like, oh, these, this guy handles all the legal work for Afropunk or he's the GC or in-house counsel um, for Afropunk. And now, even though I had been building up a skill set and also, um, you know, my own clients and kind of um, art artist base before Afropunk, yeah. now everyone kind of looks at it as like, oh, okay, now this person is official because he has this other um, stamp. And honestly, that's just how that's just that's just how the industry works. But so that's that was kind of my winding road into, I guess, getting into the industry. And I think like one of the other misconceptions that people have, like when you're an entertainment lawyer, is like it's like the the DuckTales intro from when we were kids. You're a little younger than me. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> no, no, I remember DuckTales. Like, yeah, but you know, like swimming and money, like people yeah. just. Yeah, I remember like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, like backstroking in coin, gold yeah. coins. Yeah, I remember like my first couple of years. I remember I would run into people. Yeah, who I hadn't seen in a long time. They'd be yeah. like. What whip were you pushing right now? Yeah. Like asking these questions, like, and I'm like the same whip. Same what? Was the last on the court, time. same thing. Yeah, like, and I, the hot court, right? <laughs> court, like, oh, where you living? You bought the mansion yet? You know, you got the Lambo. I'm like, no, 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 nah, no. I still live in the same one bedroom apartment. Like, nah. So, from a financial perspective, mm -hmm. how comfortable or stable did you feel at that phase? Um, no, it was just. It, I mean, not comfortable. It was just adding to whatever I was, you know, what I was doing. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I mean, they're, they're, um, you know, and, and the other thing about coming to Afropunk in 2016 is, I mean, they've technically been around since 2003. Mm -hmm. So I mean, if you talk to people that live in, uh, lived in Brooklyn for 10 plus years, they all tell you, oh yeah, I remember going to Afropunk when it was free. Yeah. <laughs> so they all, they'll, they'll all tell you it's not free anymore, but they'll, they'll all, they'll all tell you that. But I also came at a time where, I mean, they were just kind of, taken off. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just came at the at the perfect time. But I mean they're they're not uh they're not Coachella or Lollapalooza, you know, or backed by like a live nation by uh, or AG by any means. So it's it's not uh, you know, uh, what whip am I pushing mm -hmm. or, or something like that. But the other funny thing about entertainment attorneys is, and me and my my friend Hampton Howerton is the guy I'm talking about that also went to Campbell. We talk about that all the time is like, you know, as a as if you want to practice as an attorney and make just make money there's probably much easier ways to do that right. than being an entertainment attorney so it's like we this is a this is actually a more difficult route mm -hmm. in getting towards being whatever you think is financially stable and I know that varies based on whatever your own expectations are or where you live um certainly living in New York City right. um but um it, and, and entertainment is definitely not the place where it's like oh I'm doing crazy <laughs> it's, it's I mean if, it's, a, it's 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 such a it's such a misconception I get why it has that misconception but it's uh until you really have I guess like that one client that's really just bananas big like you know I'm just thinking off the head I know an attorney that does all post Malone stuff you know and he's with him from the beginning you have something like that then you know I think that can really change your trajectory right. but that's kind of like a one in a million client one in a thousand client exactly. really so 
And it's I, much like management in that you may see something in someone right. and decide you want to invest in them as their lawyer, but you yeah. may not make money off them no. for years. For like, years. You know, it's it's very hard to land the big fish when they become the big fish. Correct. So you, I, I would get these calls from people who got my number from someone and I would believe in the talent, right. but I just couldn't afford yeah. to carry them as 100% an attorney. 100% you got to give them the same level of service. It's a get, very thin line yeah. between mm-hmm. being a lawyer and being the manager yes. for for talent that has not um broken yet yeah. or had reached a certain level where they have a full full team. Mm-hmm. Um there's a couple of guys that I have right now that um are somewhat in that space, but it's just that to me, I've seen the progression and also I believe so strongly in their talent. Yeah. And I've like I said, I've seen the progression from where we started at, but I 100 percent understand where people who are not attorneys or maybe not even managers, but they're helping out and they're just like I don't have the resources and the time to put into this. But on the flip side, when that person is already a big fish, it's very difficult to come in at that point. So to me, not only is it just an easier road, it's also to me more gratifying if you can kind of take that journey with someone and help them get there. Um, And I know there's a lot of challenges um, with that, specifically as black attorneys. That's something that Reggio said used to talk about all the time is having a... um, talent that they kind of help groom from the beginning. And then when they reach a certain success level, they go across the street. Yep. So um, there's, there's, experience. there's, 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 there's some, there's some risk in that, but I, I definitely understand what you're saying is like, it takes a lot of resources and time to be able to devote to that. If, cause again, these, these people really aren't paying you right. market. They're not in a position at to pay all. you market at all. So it's really just kind of like, you're kind of believing in their dream a little bit mm-hmm. too. Or they're paying you. I mean, I, I've been, Paid in cash with money like wrapped in a. Like, where did this come from exactly? Right? It's just a whole like underbelly that people just don't. Yeah, there's definitely not, there's definitely know? another belly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but in any case, you mentioned Reggie, who we were speaking about yes. off air, um, aka Combat Jack. Yes. Near and dear to my heart. Yes. Rest his soul. Um, but one of the things that we spoke about, and I want to make sure that we memorialize this yes. interview, is. Coming into this in, in this industry, it can be very difficult to grab the attention of the old heads and mm-hmm. um, those who've been in it. Maybe I shouldn't call them old heads. The OGs, senior, the right? senior attorneys, senior attorneys, senior attorneys, um, yes, and get them to invest in you or make connections or what have you. Yes, um, but Reggie was so different. He in was that he was always. I think sometimes he didn't realize how much of a giant of industry he was. He like, was. Just I don't think he did. Yeah. So humble, so open, willing to connect you, willing to drop gems. Right. And one of the things that I always remembered about him is, you know, you go to these events, you run into the same people all the time mm-hmm. and people trying to figure out if they know you, like giving yeah. you the, the squint. Like, yeah. you know, I think we met yeah. every time I ran into Reggie, he called me by name. Yep. And like, I was just like a nobody, this yeah. young attorney trying to make it happen. Always asked me, how are things going? You know, and. Um, it's a story that I've told on the show before very early in this process um, when we lost Reggie. Yes. But he was the first, like, industry person I told about December 26th. Mm. Like, we ran into each other at yeah. um, New York Tech Day. Yes. And he was doing something with the Red Bull, the Music Academy. He was doing a live podcast or something. We're chatting it up. And I was like, Reggie, I got this idea. Yeah. December 26th. And, and his whole face lit up. He was like, right. you need to run with that. Yes. Read this book. Do this. Do that. Um, and was so, so supportive. And if you know this business, that is rare. Very it's rare. rare for people just to support for the sake of supporting, right? right? Not yep. because they're trying to get something from you or having an, ulter- an ulterior motive. And as a woman, especially for mm-hmm. me, 
mm-hmm. that was even uh, more valuable. Yes. That I knew that he was just so genuine and yeah. I could trust him. It was it was never any like funny business or right. whatever. So shout out to Combat Jack. Rest shout out to peace. Combat Man. I, like I said, it's the same story. Um, I, right before I moved up here, I lived in Charlotte briefly and I remember it like it was yesterday. I somehow, I think it was maybe a com- complex interview. I stumbled into an interview with him. And the first two interviews, I think they, this is back going back to the PNC, mm-hmm. the P, PNC, PNC days, PNC radio of the Combat Jack show. And I believe the first interview I listened to of theirs was they were interviewing Young Guru. Mm-hmm. And then the next one was um, DJ Premier. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I was, I was hooked mm-hmm. um, ever since then. And then I remember um, Complex did a, you know, he was telling some crazy stories from his time as an attorney. And I remember telling my dad, I'm like, yo, this guy's story. I'm like, this is, this is it. This is what I this is what I want to be. And I remember reaching out to him on Twitter and he was like, and I was like, oh, you got any advice? He was like, first advice, get all your money up front. <laughs> and I never, I, I never, best advice I never forget that. And then he also, later he also tried to connect me with some of the attorneys that he put on. So when uh, him and his um, late partner, rest in peace to Ed Woods as well, um, Osain Woods, that was their firm. They had a number of attorneys that they um, kind of took under their wing. And now those guys are uh, very low larger and they're in that senior attorney group um, as well too but he was always open and then uh, when I moved basically to New York Mm -hmm. and this is when they used to have the bring your own blog bring your own blogger barbecue at Prospect Park Mm -hmm. and I went there and I met him I'll never forget he introduced me to Just Blaze and so like just seeing that the the trajectory of that show taking off was just like it felt like a win for me as well too but always humble always down to earth, really wanted to see other people win, just a general, just great soul. And the one thing I would say too is um, Randall McMillan, who I mentioned, he's very much like that as well Mm -hmm. too. And so even though, you know, it can be hard getting those, uh, engendering some of those relationships with some of the senior attorneys, I would say just one of those relationships is cancels out 10,000 no's. Absolutely. Like, all you all you need is one yes. Because once and you get that code, again, the code Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's like, all, all you all you need is one yes. So you could go a t- through 10 million no's. And so um, that's kind of what I keep my focus on, even though I also understand that landscape. And so what I do is I just try to incorporate that. So when younger attorneys come to me mm-hmm. with like advice or people that are in law school or right out of law school, I always try to have that kind of like open door policy and kind of carry on that same spirit, which to me is also just kind of part of being a good person. Um, but like I said, I know specifically how hard it is for younger attorneys and especially attorneys of color um, trying to get ahead uh, in, in this industry as well, too. So I try to keep that same spirit um, alive as well, too, with combat. But like, man, you talk about a giant, it, even the legal stuff aside, but like the show. So my mom is a huge fan, huge fan of the show. And she will tell me all the time, listening, we were talking about Stephanie Mills last week mm-hmm. and Stephanie Mills was on a breakfast club. And my mom was like, oh, you know, Charlamagne and Angela Yee, they don't really, you know, she's like, Envy, I don't really even know about that. Like the, the questions he asked, she was like, they don't really ask questions the way that combat does. And I tell her all the time, like, we never going to get another guy that, yeah. that because, because in addition to him having the formal training, as an attorney, he also is part of this culture, exactly. grew up in it, was born in the 60s. So he's seen the 70s, the 80s, like party during this time. So he knows the questions to ask. And I actually was talking to um, A. King, who was the executive producer at the um, at the at their holiday party this week. And we were talking about this. And I was like, man, like that void as far as just like the hip hop 
librarian, yep. like the, the hip hop historian, there's no, no, there's no one's really filling that void. Like no one's even really even close to that. But I think that he gave such a blueprint of how to do interviews and pull stuff out of people that um, that if they you get the same artist could go to somewhere else and you won't get that out, you won't exactly. get that out of them. Exactly. Um, and just like uh, I mean, it, Reggie is the one who inspired us to do long form interviews, right? Mm. Because and and you think there's not an appetite for yeah. it because we're in such like a microwave culture yeah. where it's like quick sound bites, yeah. everybody's attention spans yeah. are short. But if you're presenting a side of people and a level of vulnerability that nobody else is, right? People will t- people will listen. Yeah, people I will listen. People will listen. I, that I was one thing when when they were because I remember when they were fighting that and they were like, oh, do people want to sit through two and a half hour interviews or like they they interview Chuck D for like three hours? But at the same time, I'm like. How you gonna interview Chuck D for an hour? Right, right. Like I, I, I remember it wasn't. Um, I was, uh, I was teasing combat because I think Ice Cube came, but they were doing the Straight Outta Compton promo. But I mean, he was on like a tight schedule, and usually they didn't like doing those. So the interview was only like forty five minutes, and I was like, Yo, you gotta tell Cube, we gotta come back, man. Like this, you can't, you cannot interview people that have been doing anything for 20, 30 years right. and sit and get everything out in like an hour. Exactly. So I like I, I 100% understand that. It's like, yeah, you sometimes like, and people will definitely tune in and listen. They will. 100%. If it's fluff filler content, nobody's paying attention for that right. long. But if the story, if you're really getting into the nitty gritty of somebody's journey, yes. and there is that commonality piece, and, mm-hmm. and combat we making references to like Paradise Garage, like all this stuff I yes. don't even know as like yeah. a youngin'. Yeah. But my parents know about yeah, it because like, I wouldn't ask them. Exactly. So <laughs> I, ask I think them. Yeah, he, had a, yeah. he had an ability to also connect across generation. Yes. He's he's interviewing people that are of interest to the younger generation, but like, as you mentioned, had this experience of coming up Right. In, you know, 70s, 80s New York. So, yes. So also having that commonality with the older generation. Yeah. Like, he's just the GOAT. Yeah. I mean, that's really... The- he's the GOAT. Nah, he's the GOAT. He's definitely he's the, the GOAT. He's the GOAT. And then... The pod father. He literally <laughs> is the pod father. The pod for, father sure. for sure. And then Mogul, when Mogul dropped, I was yes. like, oh, this is it. Like, oh, yeah. we've moved to the next yeah. I was telling him, I'm ha- I'm happy to see where, every- where this podcast place has, has-, has gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it... I mean, if he was here today, man, I'm just like, I can only imagine like right. the things that he'd be able to do, even just Spotify, like doubling mm-hmm. down on the, because I mean, they, even the mogul thing was somewhat early yeah. at that point, but now they've just been doubling down in that podcast space. So um, I think he, they, those guys, they really opened up mm-hmm. a lot of doors and they, and, they, and they had a great team as well too. So it wasn't just combat, but the executive producer, A. King, Dallas Penn, Premium P, all those guys and the, the, the team or what they call the spaceship. Right. What they, what they built together was really something special. Right. And I think one of the stories that I often recall when things get difficult with this mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. is, you know, Combat Jack show blew up, right? Yeah. Um, but there's a story where somebody had asked Combat, like, how many listens he was getting. He was right. like, oh, you know, like 150. And they're yeah. like, thousand. He's like, no, 150. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. But he just knew. Like, people yeah. were just like, man, get out of here. Like, yeah. what are you doing? But he knew what he had. Yeah, consistency. He, grew, he consistently did the show and grew it from nothing into yep. something. Which is, I mean, what we're all about here. You know, at the 26th show. Something. So yeah. I'm glad we had that little tribute yeah, 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 no, to, yeah, yeah, to Reggie. Absolutely. He deserves it. it was 100%. Um, for sure. So you you made these connections. Yep. You you built out your career with Afropunk, working with some some other talent. Mm-hmm. What does your career look like now? So it's a combination of um, Afropunk, which takes mm-hmm. up obviously a, a, a majority of the of of my time. Um, and now, just then, since 2016, they've added Johannesburg, South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, which actually happened in about two and a half weeks. Um, so the past 
three years this year included. It's always uh, December 30th and December 31st. Uh, me and my wife have been lucky enough to go to uh, Johannesburg for the festival the past two years. And I would tell any people, especially black people, if you have not been to Africa in general, but obviously Africa is made up of countries. So South Africa, like I know a lot of people are going to Ghana as well, yeah. too. Um, you got to get over there. Like you will feel something that, and it's weird because just driving around South Africa, even though obviously I'm an American, mm -hmm. like we're Americans. So it's like, I'm obviously a visitor there, Yeah. but just driving and walking around over there, I kind of feel like this is our I've done Tanzania. Okay. Okay. And uh, so I went to Tanzania and we had gone to visit like what they would call a village mm -hmm. um, to see factions of women who have businesses. So they get together and um, they start a business. So there are women who um, process seaweed to be mm -hmm. sold to cosmetic companies, et cetera. Other women who, other women who made textiles. So they okay. have these little factions. They lend each other money, you right. know, if they need to micro loans until the next revenue comes in or what have you. And we were there with the translator and they were all, you know, looking at us with like these and we're just there to support. Like, we right. want to learn about what they do, right. spend money, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they look so bright-eyed. Yeah. And the translator said to them, said to us, um, that they were saying they were just so happy to see people who look like them. Yes. Coming from the States as opposed to colonizers, should I yeah, say? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, no, 100%. Um, and yeah. but I, in that experience, I will never forget that week of, like, going everywhere. And it's just us. Like, and nobody's looking at me. Yeah. I've traveled across the world. Right. And nobody's looking at me like, how did you get here? Who are you? And feeling fully embraced and knowing that I'm by being here and contributing yeah. to tourism um, and that industry, I'm supporting my own. Yep. There's just nothing like that. There's nothing like, like that. it. Nothing it's, like it's, that it's nothing like it. We, mm -hmm. We've been to, now we've been to South Africa. We've been to Kenya. The last trip, we, we went to Kenya. And then before, we've been to uh, Zimbabwe and also um, Egypt as well, mm -hmm. too, which is, uh, that's another place, like, you got to see the pyramids. Wow, that's yes. Just, mm -hmm. I, don't know, it's, I, know, I know people had some concerns from, like, years back, but, like, it's completely fine. Like, right. it's safe. I mean, it was... That was like breathtaking, but their tourism kind of hit, um, took a dip after the Arab Spring. Mm -hmm. But it's just crazy going to see something that amazing. And there's like no lines. Like I'm just right. walking, yep. like just walking in. Um, but yeah, so it, it was, it's really, a, it's really a special trip. But in that time, Afropunk has added um, Johannesburg. Next year, they're adding Brazil as well, too. Oh, wow. um, they also have London and Paris. So um, a lot of what I'm, what I'm working on for them is obviously like, legal part, but the nice thing about being at a small shop is you get to learn so much. And this is the, one of the great things about being an attorney mm -hmm. is you kind of get a view of everything. So production, backline, um, promotion, they also have, they also put out a lot of content. Yeah. So I'm also learning about how content is produced, how it's licensed, what those deals look like. Um, and it's also funny because the same people that I couldn't get an interview with when I was coming up, now they're on the other side of yes. the table. So that's been also pretty interesting, um, seeing how those seeing how those uh, mechanics work. But um, so that's that's what it looks like as far as Afropunk. But outside of that, I've just been building my own practice. Um, it's a combination of small business owners, so mm -hmm. people starting corporations, LLCs, uh, not-for-profits, um, people looking to protect their trademark, and then also a lot of music industry work. So music artists, uh, music producers, uh, music managers. Mm -hmm. So in addition, I, I talked about I talked about Randall McMillan, I talked about Combat, and I talked about um, Tamika Stembridge with Afropunk. But also another interesting story was, and this was, so I moved to Harlem in March of 2013. 
13. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my dad, his his uh, close friend was staying with my my parents around the same time. And so I think I was talking to my dad and my dad was talking to his friend. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, Gerard um, is working on doing being a music lawyer and doing the entertainment thing. And my dad's friend is like, oh, did you, did you um, tell him about Craig? And he and uh, my dad's like, oh, yeah. I was like, well, he's heard stories about Craig, but I don't know like what Craig's been doing. So <laughs> my dad's been telling me for years about this guy named Craig who worked in the music industry with them. And Craig, you started with um, Uptown when like literally when when Diddy was there. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, he was, but he was older at that point. So he, he's he's older than he's older than Diddy. But um, and then he went on to work for Clive Davis. I didn't know any of this stuff. I just heard like, oh, we used to party with Craig and Craig always like had the hookup. And then so my dad's friend is like, oh, like I'm going to put you on the phone with Craig right now. So I'll call Craig. Get on the phone. He's like, oh, you're you're Mitchell's. He's like, oh, you're Mitchell's son. He's like, oh, you're an attorney. He's like, man, that's fantastic. He was like, um, he was like, when you get back um, to New York, because I think I was visiting at the time. He's like, oh, when you get back to um, to New York, he was like, oh, we're going to meet like you're going to be my guy. So Craig has all these older. He's a he's a music manager, comes from promotions. But now he has all these older R&B acts. So mm -hmm. like when the, the the second time that I hang out with Craig, I was on the bus with he was doing the TGT tour. So Tank, Genuine, Tyrese. I talked to Tyrese for like an hour. Tyrese was just giving me game for like an hour. And um, and then now he has some like like Dave Hollister, um, Raheem Devon, who's now a legal client of mine, wow. came from Craig. So like in addition to these other things that were like going on this whole time, Craig is basically like, oh, here's what a distribution deal looks like. Mm -hmm. um, here's what a management deal looks like. Or like, here's what I want in these, here's what I want um, in these deal points. Or like, here's the conversations that I have when I go up to the radio. So that was another relationship that was happening at the same time. And then it was just, you know, as I pro progressed and kind of like grew in my career, now it's like, I'm in this place with Craig, where Craig is just like, oh, like I'm gonna send it to G. Like G right. can like, he knows exactly like what I need. And then also like getting clients through, through him as well too, just through those, through those relationships. So that was just another valuable relationship. Um, and I gotta, I gotta give Craig his props too, mm -hmm. because again, as a younger attorney, it's very hard to get, cause he's, he's basically the same age as, as the senior attorneys that we're yeah. talking about. Um, so it's very hard to get those type of relationships when you're a young attorney. Mm -hmm. So I never take those um, for granted. And that's been help, helped me be able to uh, kind of build out my practice. But the other thing that I've been working on this year was speaking more. Um, I love speaking and going to conferences, but I had a conversation. Actually, the same day was with, I went to this uh, conference in Las Vegas called X Live. It's all about mm -hmm. live events. And one of the women who was on the panel, she does a lot of the programming for Coachella. And I was telling her what I do for Afropunk. And she was saying, she's like, man, I can't believe you just describe yourself as an attorney because you do all this stuff that most of the attorneys that I know. Yeah that they don't even do 15 to 20% of the stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the production, the marketing, all that type of stuff. And I'm also on the city bar, the entertainment law committee for the New York City Bar as well, too. And some of those guys were telling me the same thing. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I'm like, if there's a chance for me to help people build events, not just from a legal aspect of as well. It's like, so you come and you say, hey, I have this money. I want to produce this event. What do I do? I'm like, okay, well, I come like, you know, what type of talent are you targeting? Um, so I can help with, help, help you with the booking. Um, what type of production do you want to put on? Um, I can help you with the production. Um, where do you want to promote? How do you want to promote? And then also with the ticketing, like how, how do you want to go about selling tickets? How many tickets do you want to sell? So these are all things that I've learned now just through um, being at a, at a growing festival 
that's given me the ability to be able to learn these things from, I mean, and everyone there's fantastic. Yeah, but they really built out a, a fantastic team. And so I've been able to learn these things. So I'm like, oh, you know what? Now this is a, a, a value add right. that I can provide to clients beyond just legal work. And I think that's really been the focus for me this year is just um, there's so much more than the contract, the four walls of the contract. And even the same thing for music. You know, I have a number of music producer uh, clients who have been getting some pretty good placements this year, but they're like, hey, <laughs> I haven't gotten a check from the label yet, or I haven't got a publishing check yet. And it's just like, oh, this, there's no nefarious reason why you haven't been paid yet. It's just maybe they don't have your tax information yet or they didn't receive the letter of direction yet or uh, the splits that were determined weren't signed off and sent in yet. So I've actually been doing a number of that and it's been great because now not only am I learning much more than I knew before um, about publishing, I'm able to provide a value add to the client. And I think it's even a higher value add because now this is something where I'm basically like putting the check in your hand, exactly. which everyone loves that. Exactly. So. And I think just in this day and age of like a legal industry where there's like this race to the bottom, like with the access to internet yes. and all of these like legal startups yeah. that are trying to provide service to people on demand and you can just yeah. go in and have people bid. Right. Um, not all. There, right. I think there are a lot of prospective clients that value what you bring to the table. Right. Um, but because of that, because of the way the industry has changed, mm -hmm. when you're just a contract lawyer, yeah. it becomes this fight to keep your clients. It's like, because yeah, it it's like, oh, I found this guy, you know, who could, who could, said he could do this right. from the LLC or my loan out corporation for half of what you're charging or whatever. Right. When you bring all these unique, all of these unique skills, right. um, which shows a value add beyond just typing in black and white on a, right. um, on a, on a contract on a computer. I think that's what also encourages people to, to go on the long haul. Yes. With you. And also, let me just like say this yes. plug for lawyers, lawyers around the world, clients, I know you think you can go on Google and find a management contract or find something and just change the names. Just tweeted but this you two weeks don't ago. know what you don't know. You don't know what you, you, don't, you know don't know what you don't know. You don't know the context. Someone exactly. literally just asked me this about three weeks ago and it was like, oh, what's the difference between hiring an attorney and then just using a template template that I found on Google? And I said, well, I was like, you don't know. Well, for you. For your own knowledge, you don't know how accurate the template is. I was like, too, you don't know the context. So there may be some things that you need to change right. um, that may not fit your situation. And I was like, so it's really not advantageous to you to 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 to, to go that route. Um, and another thing I was I was going to say, too, is um, when you talk about um, value add and what you bring to the table is I think as black attorneys and attorneys of color, when we go to, because the, the legal profession is definitely, is about 90% um, not people of color. Yes. Um, so, but I think particularly in music, especially if we're talking about hip hop, um, don't shy away from what you bring to the table. Right. Um, because one thing that I've noticed uh at some of these firms where, again, it's not very diverse, is a lot of their fight is fighting to maintain their um, clients. But if you, you can, I believe sometimes we're able to relate to the artists in a way that someone who doesn't come from the same background, the same perspective, they never could. Because honestly, at the end of the day, we can all figure out this publishing contract. Right. We can figure that out. That's just that's just training. You do a couple of those after a while, like you can, you can figure that out. But that personal relationship or how me and my wife were having a conversation this morning about um, there was a 
a trending topic about what it means to be like black famous and how a lot of white people were saying they didn't know who Frankie Beverly was. So it's just like there's I'm just like certain Kristen Powell, like you know, our <laughs> folks, but it's just certain conversations that is just like, you know, um, don't just because maybe someone is telling you like, oh, well, you didn't work. You didn't go to this law school or you didn't work at this big firm. So like you don't have this training, but it's like, but also at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, but you can't go to 125th Street and sit at Harlem Shake and have a burger with this guy. Right. Or you can't go to the, you can't go to the Bronx and sit with a boogie, like wherever he's from. So I think there's, there's other things that we bring to the table and we should never, we should never shy away from those. Cause again, like to me, hip hop is very welcoming, mm-hmm. but I feel that like on the, on the business, on the business side of it, sometimes the, the professionals that look like us, um, sometimes again, it's harder to break in, but I think we bring a unique skill set and a perspective that's value in addition to obviously like your legal skills as well. Absolutely. And I think too, um, one of the things that I I don't think I even appreciated Mm -hmm. until later in my career Mm -hmm. is when you've had to create your own lane Mm -hmm. and sort of break in and do it all and wear all those many hats. It changes your approach and your analytical skill set yes. for the better as an attorney. Yes. So I sat across the, the table from attorneys who've been practicing 10, 15 years longer than me, who went mm-hmm. white shoe law firm, you know, in-house, whatever, right. then yeah. maybe struck out on their own or still in-house. And they don't have the savvy no, they don't. that you would think that they would have because right. they're so used to like these prototypes. Mm-hmm. And basically they learn this way to do things. They follow the firm's way what have you, but in an ever-changing landscape, just right. the way, if you want to take entertainment by itself, the way things have changed in, in terms of streaming, 360 deals. You gotta stay young. You know, new new media, like right. podcasting, all those things. Right. There's not always going to be a blueprint. Nope. And not everybody has been in a career where they've had to really figure it out. Right. And they don't have the critical um, skill set. So sometimes when I would talk to other lawyers who um, were at the Scaddens or the Cravats and, yep. and, and, yep. and what have you, I would... Uh, I would kind of brace myself when they would ask, oh, where did you, where did you work? Like, where did yeah. you go? Yeah. Um, where'd you come from? And and I'm telling yeah. my story, which was wholly my choice. I right. made those choices. I wasn't right. forced to, but I made right. them. Right. I used to be like, oh, here we go. Right. Yeah. Now I wear it as a badge of honor. Me too. Because I know, like, I'm going to out negotiate you. I know yeah. that just yeah. by virtue of yeah. how you're presenting yourself yeah. um, and the way that you you approach matters. Um, right. So now I, I, I think there needs to be more confidence in, especially for our folks, in the cultural connection, right. but in the grit that we have yes. and embracing our non-traditional experiences and how they contribute to our skill sets. Yeah. Law firms are very, very conservative, Mm -hmm. probably in almost every aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting because I was, I was, this is a conversation I was having with Randall and I was like, you know, it's interesting. It was like, law firms probably the only place where is, where when I tell them about my journey and like what I do now, where I feel that it's not as appreciated. Whereas like, if I go to um, like William Morris or like Mm -hmm. a booking agency, they're like, Okay, yeah, this guy probably knows our contracts better than our own attorneys because I seen them all day. Um, And I probably speak to booking agents more than probably any other entity um, that I deal with um, at at Afropunk. So it's and even like the labels and people in other places. But it's very interesting to me that it's very much that like, hey, if you didn't come through this particular lane, then whatever you're doing is somewhat like um, 
devalued. Yes. Um, even and I, and I would imagine it'd probably be that way, even if you have like one of those like big clients mm-hmm. or something like that. So it's it's very it's a very like narrow view. But to me, the way that I look at that now is like, okay, well, you know what? I'm glad you have that narrow view because now that just creates all this opportunity right. for me. So it was like, okay, if you guys just want to play over here and fight in this, and that's kind of what changed my perspective this year. It was like, well, you know what? Why am I fighting to play in this sandbox where it's like, they don't even really want me in there and I got to fight with everybody where it's like, okay, I'm over here doing something where there's not that many people like me anyway that are doing it or have that type of skill set. Let me be like water and flow the path of least resistance and try to uh, figure it out from that perspective. But yeah, that's one thing because a lot of younger attorneys ask me like, hey, you know, should I go to big law or stuff like that. And and to be completely honest, I mean, that was what I wanted. Right. That's what I wanted. So this is kind of just the, the path that ended up working um, for me. But now I also see, you know, the pitfalls and then also being part of the um, this network of Black attorneys and my sister's keeper and my brother's keeper. There's a lot of struggles there with um, uh, men and women of color staying at these big law firms. Absolutely. And they usually burn out in about two to three years. So I think you kind of got to value that. I mean, even when I, bef- that before the phone call with Tamika and I, afterwards I had the phone call with the person from Fox Rothschild, she asked me, she said, she was like, um, you know, how much do you value, you know, quality of life? Like, are you, is, are you, are you in your, I don't think I wasn't married at the time I was engaged. She was like, are you guys thinking about, um, uh, starting a family soon or something like that. It was like, if people are asking you that right. question, prepare yourself. You probably should like take that into a little bit more account. Um, and I also think that I would uh, put this a little back on law schools too. Even though our law school definitely, we definitely had a small curriculum on like law firm practice mm-hmm. and starting your own law firm. But I think there probably should be a little bit more emphasis on that. So law, so uh, attorneys don't feel like, oh, I got to go get the big job because I got to pay back these loans and I got to I got to do this. So like there's other ways that maybe you can get to the destination that you want to arrive at um, without necessarily having to sacrifice your quality of life. Your sanity. Your your sanity. Because if you don't have that, then none of this other stuff matters anyway, because now you're not in a healthy place. And that's the dark side, I think, that a lot of people don't talk about, the mental health struggle. Yes. Um, of attorneys who work in big law who are making all this money. Yeah. Um, but just not emotionally or, or psychologically Miserable. well. Right. Um, and since I brought up the money, speaking of that, one one piece of advice I would offer to yeah. young attorneys who decide that they don't want to go big law. Yeah. Do not look at the releases on big law bonuses that come out on sites <laughs> like Above the Law. Yeah. You're going to be like, yeah. Yeah. What did I do? Because uh, yeah. the money is real, but they're they're literally tra- you're trading in a lot of cases your happiness. The money is real, but I mean the, the yeah. hours is real. Yeah. <laughs> the hours are when real. When you break too. it down by hour, yeah. You, you, it's so I'm like, like when are you gonna? Though, yeah. When are you? When do you have time to mm-hmm. enjoy that? Right. It's like you know uh, one thing. Um, I say the last really since meeting my wife because before me I was just like a. Oh, I'm just work. This is it. But now she's like, no, we're going to travel. We're on vacation. And I really appreciate that. So to be at a place where it's like, you know, I got, oh, you get maybe two weeks or a week a year or something like that. I'm like. And hope you can take it. And hope you can take it. I have, I have no desire to go back to that. Um, so that's why, I, yeah, I think you sometimes you end up trading on that happiness. And it's like, the money is great. And definitely like, I want to get to it and continue right. to like push it. But I think there are other ways that may just take, it may be a longer road to get there. Mm-hmm. But I think it may be more satisfying than necessarily um, putting in crazy hours for something that doesn't make you happy. Absolutely. And I mean, I know lawyers and Black lawyers who... Mm-hmm are still doing it successfully and who've made partner 
Right. Um, but they're just wired for it. And, right. and they compartmentalize very well. None of those lawyers have said to me, I'm so passionate about this work. This is amazing. It's not that. It, it affords me a certain lifestyle. Right. I do what I need to do. And when I need to make time for personal things, I do. Right. Um, and that's it. I'm not looking for the job to feed my soul or my spirit. And there's a small subset who function like, like that. That's not me. Right? Right. <laughs> so right. Right. Um, I need a little bit more, you know, more than that. But similar to, to what you were saying, I have young lawyers call me all the time and saying, I, I want to go this route. And um, it sounds cliche, but I always tell them, don't do it just for the money. Yeah. Because yeah. one or two things are going to happen. You're going to flame out very early right. or your lifestyle is going to rise to the level of your income. And then you're going to have the golden handcuffs and feel like you can't. You can't make it. Yeah, you right? can't. Because you, you can't built do this it. entire life right. around this salary that's just insane. Right. Um, that is, is going to be very hard to match in, right. in other places. But um, I'm glad that you're, you're highlighting that you can be successful on a, a non-traditional Right. legal path right. and also pick up skill sets that are, are helpful to your clients and helpful to your business Correct. along the way because one of the things that we promote on this show is there's no one way to do anything. Nope. You know, we, we like to think the trajectory is just a straight climb right. but there, there are twists and turns but we're firm believers that every experience is pushing you towards what it is that you should be doing. So even like the, you mentioned that working for the insurance company mm -hmm. seems like the farthest thing from entertainment yeah. but yeah. a valuable a set of acumen, valuable right. acumen for what you do today. Correct. So all, all of it, all of it you can can use for sure. Correct. Um, so tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Yeah. Um, he told his story. He's mm -hmm. told his story before, so I think I can say it. So, uh, and it kind of connects to Reggie as well, too. Mm -hmm. So about, um, where are we now? I guess last summer, uh, my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And so he... Thankfully, it was still somewhat on the earlier side. And so um, last July, my my family always does a, actually my, on my mom's side, we always do a family reunion with like, so her paternal and maternal um, um, side. And so there's always a family reunion to go to each year. And so he had the surgery where they removed basically like the tumor um, from his intestines um, last uh, July. And so we go and do the... Um, so he has the surgery and I'm thinking that like, oh, the tumor's out. Like, it's all good. Like, right. you know, now we get back to like, you know, eating healthy. And uh, and so I, and actually let me let me back up. So prior to Reggie's um, diagnosis, uh, Combat had a lot of people on the show talking about a vegetarian lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so prior to that, I had been basically just like just eating uh, fish. So I cut the red meat and all that stuff out. And then a few months after we got, me and my wife got married in September of 2017. And a few months later, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to try the whole vegetarian mm -hmm. thing. And I have been been sticking with it. And so when that happened with my dad, I was like, oh, okay, you got to switch some things up. And then so fast forward to, you know, he has surgery. You know, he's on the men, but it's maybe like a couple of days later. So he's still in the hospital. But it was just me. It was just me and him there. My mom's working. And so the doctor comes in and the doctor's like, um, the first doctor, the first oncologist comes in or the assistant. She's like, oh, you know, we have a plan. You may do some like chemotherapy just to like make sure that like, you know, we got everything. And um, and so I'm just like, OK, like, cool. She's like real rosy. Mm -hmm. Then the actual oncologist comes in and like his mood was like real serious. Mm -hmm. Like and um, he's like, oh, you know. 
the where we found the tumors like close to like the lymph nodes, which the lymph nodes are basically like how it can travel. Yeah. Um, so like because we found it close to the lymph nodes that like so this is stage three, which again, people just hear the stages and they're mm-hmm. just like, so um, he was like, you know, we want to do the chemotherapy to make sure that we got it all. And I'm saying in an, I mean, he was speaking as a doctor, but it just didn't feel very like warm and real. Yeah. And so, um, but I just remember looking over at my dad and my dad's, he's a much bigger guy than me. He's probably 6'1", 220. And, uh, and I look over at him and I can see the weight on him. Mm -hmm. And he just like, let's say, he's like, and I'm just like, man, this is heavy. And then so, you know, Talk to the doctor for a little bit. Then he leaves. And then it's just like the two of us sitting in there. And you could just kind of feel the weight in the room. And I'm just telling him, I'm like, yo, we're going to, we're like, we're going to get through this thing. We're going to, we're going to, you know, fight through it. You know, we can make some changes. Um, Obviously, it's good that they already got the the tumor out of it. Um, And then I had, because I was getting ready to go back to New York. But then like the day before, I was like, yo, everything that you're doing, like other than obviously like taking chemo but I was like everything you're doing I'm doing I was like my dad's already bald but I was I was like if you had hair you lost your hair I was like I would cut all my hair off I was like the same way that like I'm asking you to eat is the same way that I'm eating um so that was I mean that was July of 20 July 2018 and then he so he went through six rounds of chemo and then pretty much found out in March so he's been cancer free so that like but that was you know going through that and sitting in that room I'm like this is probably like the toughest thing Mm -hmm. that I can that um that I can remember but you know it it was also special to me because I know that's what took Reggie away from us right um and so that was kind of it it was it was it was kind of almost like a full circle type of thing. But then also on his show, because he promoted so much like healthy eating, yeah. like some of that kind of gets lost. I know Russell Simmons came on there. Um, RZA did a show, but he had other people that came on the show and we're, and we're talking about these things. I'm like, oh, you know what? It's, there's really something to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that's been a large part of, and that included my dad's side of the family as well too. Um, just healthy eating and impacting that. But that would, def- that would definitely be a day because that was... I wasn't expecting to end up having like that conversation right. um, on that day. I just thought like, oh, we got the tumor out. We're good. Keep rocking and rolling. But it was like, no, this is we got it out. But you still got to fight because there's always a chance that something could come back. Um, but we're going to do these things to take all these steps to like lower the chances as much as possible. Um so, but I'm happy to report that dad is A-OK. He was up in Brooklyn chilling last weekend. That's good news so for sure. So it's, so it's all good. But yeah, that would definitely be, that is definitely something that'll change your day. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I was talking about with a friend of mine the other day is being at the age where you recognize the people, your elders' mortality. Yes. Like, I didn't think about that yeah. when, when I was 10 it's real. or 15. Um, but now, you know, you, you would see somebody, maybe somebody's, parent died young tragically for some reason but at this age yeah seeing people that you've come up with in some way and you respect in some way yeah. um have to face their right. mortality even friends or peers it changes how you live every day and like yeah, what you value and and the what you invest right. in in those relationships and you learn to cherish you know your parents even when they they get on your nerves <laughs> or you don't agree yeah. or what have yeah, you yeah, yeah, um, yeah for sure cuz you know there no one that we're all not going to be here forever yeah, everyone's got a date everyone has a date everyone's got a date know? so um i'm glad to hear though yeah. that that is doing well yeah and I, and honestly i mean i'm not, I'm not a cause I, I don't like preaching about mm-hmm. this type of stuff but i think that also as y- younger people 
you could also start making a couple like changes here Absolutely. and there to put you a little bit further uh, ahead mm-hmm. when you start getting up to Absolutely. 50s and, and 60s. Um, and if I was having this conversation with someone last week, we were talking about even just hitting like 30, it was like, oh, wait a second. There's a couple of, I can't really party the same way I used that, to before. That need for sleep yeah. is different <laughs> yeah. post-30. And, yeah. and when I was in my 20s, I didn't yeah. see being in your 30s as old. I didn't think yeah. that physically I would feel yeah. different. Yeah. That is a fact. Yeah, like, that's a, that's a hard rest. line right there. You yeah. can't be going as hard as you used yeah, to. Yeah, that bounce like, back. <laughs> that bounce back is a little different. A little bit different. A little different. So, I, yeah, I would, I would definitely... I would definitely encourage everyone. It's like, you know, you can still have fun, but it's just like, you could make a couple of changes mm-hmm. here and there, you know? Yeah, and also, go get a physical. Oh, like, well, yeah. Do, do, that's, do yeah. the wellness checks yeah. and get your blood work. And, yeah, that's what I'll say. And one, and one yeah. thing I'll say about my dad, he was like always on top, on top of that stuff. Mm-hmm. This was really just like a freak accident. Like they tell men to get the colonoscopy yes. when you're 50. And uh, he had already had two of them. So it just came in between the time for the yeah. next one. Um, so I would, yeah, that goes without saying. Like, And honestly, if you're working a job, and this, I guess this goes into a whole mm-hmm. insurance, health insurance right. type of stuff. But a lot of these jobs, if you already have covered, they're already taking money out of your check for health insurance anyway. So you might as well use it because mm-hmm. you're paying for it. Absolutely. So. And I definitely was one of those people that was like, ah, primary care, like, yeah. I feel fine. Unless I'm yeah. sick, I don't yeah. see the need until yeah. um, I went to an integrative medicine kind of doctor. It was like an intern, an internist in the office, yeah. an endocrinologist, nutritionist. And they did like a full workup and gave yeah. me a really full picture of what was right. happening. Yeah. And um, I consider myself a person who eats relatively healthy and, mm-hmm. you know, tries to take care of myself, tries to keep my body right. right. Um, and they're like, oh, your A1C is a little high here. Yep. And that's right? exactly, you know, you know like, every week we get that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's yep. like, um, We're working on you're, it. you're tracking, yeah. you know, to be a diabetic at yeah. some point or your yeah. cholesterol is a little bit high. You know, yeah. What are you eating? And a lot of times we think because we're eating a lot of fish or yeah. Um, we're making wise choices there, yeah. not realizing how things like the additives in um, vegetarian like replacements, that yep. it's still processed food, it's oh, yep. sodium or yep. um, the butter that you're using or things like that. Um, mm. That yeah. early detection for all of those things are important, Very important. To, to, to detect it now and yeah. be able to reverse and remediate before right. it's something you can't get rid of. And, it, and all those things that you're talking about, these are things that are beatable. Yep, exactly. Like we're not, we're not even talking about cancer. We're talking about like mm-hmm. high blood pressure, diabetes, all this stuff that runs in like black families. Right. Like we've all heard this type of stuff. These are things that was like you can make some changes here and there. And just and like you said, monitoring, like mm-hmm. getting that A1C check. Um, for guys, uh, like the prostate exam and doing these things like earlier than even right. like the doctor. Cause that's that's another thing that I learned um from my dad going through that process. Like doctors are great, but they're not really trained to be proactive. Right. Like that's not every that's not every doctor's um uh, thing is like being proactive. And even in the conversation that we had with his uh oncologist. And like what I'm reading like online and like hearing other like testimonies, I'm like, but I'm like, you know what? You could like if you cut this red meat and this processed meat out, you'd be well ahead instead of just like, oh, you can have it here and there. I'm like, no, how about we just not have it at all or try to find like may- maybe a substitute. I-, I don't really mess with substitutes, but it's just um, there's different things that you can do. But like you don't have to wait for like the doctor 
you can be right. much more proactive um, about your health. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So we totally went in a different I know, direction. But <laughs> I mean, that's what this show is about. It's like a 360 degree wellness kind of experience. Um, and if, if your body, if your physical body yeah. is not in the shape it needs to be in, you cannot you can't, get space to achieve other, exactly. and manifest. None of other stuff matters. Yeah, none exactly. of the other stuff matters. So I'm, I'm always about promoting that as well. And we're not, you know, I've spoken to meetings on this show. I've spoken about my experience of... Right trying to go vegan and then yeah. realizing with my blood type that I was... That vegan, vegan stuff is hard. It's hard. Ooh. I had to come... <laughs> I took a class yesterday. Um, I took a class yesterday at the gym. Um, uh, Black woman trainer. Mm -hmm. And we were talking afterwards and she was saying that... Um, her husband is vegan and he's like hardcore, like yeah. vegan, gluten free. And we were talking about, it. I'm like, man, that's, it's hard. Cause it's like, I know for me personally, I like ice cream. <laughs> so it was like, and I know that they do, they do have vegan ice cream. Mm -hmm. They do have some, they do have some substitutes, but it's just like one thing I'm like, man, if I'm just having it like here and there, I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm, I don't want to give that like, but here's, I don't give that. let me, let me let you in on a little secret, <laughs> which you may, may know already. Yeah. So I did the whole here and there. Like, let yeah. me just cut down yeah. on dairy. Yeah. What I did not know yeah. is that your body, when you cut down, your body yeah. stops producing the enzyme, the, yeah. lactase, to break down lactose. Yeah. So... It probably it, gets harder every time you... Ah, uh, exactly. I got you. Exactly. That makes so a lot of sense. then you, yeah. you become yeah. intolerant yeah. to dairy yeah. because you're not having it as much. So I'm, I'm not vegan, but I'm yeah. forced yeah. low dairy. Like, yeah. I don't eat yeah. ice cream anymore. I do yeah. a lot of things like anything that has heavy cream yeah. in it, whatever. Yeah. There are things that I can do. Like, I can still have cheese and, yeah. like, moderation. Yeah. But I have to be very careful. Yeah. So you start on that every yeah. once in a while pass. You're not going to be able to. <laughs> get forced. Yeah. Into and it's, no it's interesting because I hear so many Black people say they're, like, lactose intolerant. Yeah. But I guess for, and I think my, my dad is and one of my brothers is. Mm -hmm. But... I'm, but I'm not, mm -hmm. but I, but now I kind of realize I'm like, you know what? That's probably not a bad thing. Yeah. Cause I'm like the dairy, like the cheese mm -hmm. and like what goes into like the ice cream. So I'm like, it's, it's probably better. You just actually saved yourself by yes. not having that in the first place anyway. I can't, so. I can't give up cheese completely. Like I do, cheese some, is a tough yeah, one. I do some hard cheeses. Cheese and is I'm, a tough I one. love a good cheese board here and there. Yeah. But the last few holidays I, yeah. I bypassed the mac and cheese though. I, there's just a little bit too much going on there for yeah. me. I'm not, I'm not a crazy, I yeah. mean, People might, I might lose my black card, but I'm not, say, I'm not heavy on the... You're on the way to replication. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I never was, I never, and I mean, I'm talking about like, mm -hmm. you know, African-American homemade, yeah. like, you know, macaroni and cheese, but I, I, that was never my, I'm not desserts, it's my, yeah, that's where... sweets, the sweet yeah, potato yeah, yeah. pies and all yeah. that. Banana pudding, yeah. that type of stuff, but the macaroni and cheese was never my, my, my thing, but yeah, I... The cheese is a tough one. It is. To... <laughs> I, I, it's so tough that I've like done the research to figure out what, what are low lactose cheeses, which ones mm -hmm. work better for me and what yeah. amounts. Because every once in a while, like I just need a slice of pizza or a brie or something. So and we're in the place with the best pizza. Exactly. We're in the best. I'm, um, I'm so introducing I, yeah. my little brother to this. Catherine, <laughs> we were out two weeks ago. We had, there's a place called Vinny's in, uh, in Williamsburg. I was like, I think this is the best slice in the city. And he had that. But he's coming from like, he's 10 years younger than me. Mm -hmm. He's coming from Jersey. And like, he's still eating the whole like Papa John's. And, oh, no. That's, and like that's all that type of stuff. And I'm like, he, I can just see his eyes like, you know, I'm like. Now you see what yeah, I mean. Like this is this is exactly. Yeah. I'm like this is real. This is a real slice of pizza. So I understand. Like that's a that's a tough fight. But yeah. So I'm, I'm I feel like I'm a, I'm in moderation. It works yes for me. Yes, absolutely. Um, my skin tells me when I'm real. <laughs> I, I got it worked out. It's all good. Maybe you know a few years from now I will revisit. <laughs> Uh, going hardcore. Trying to look like now. Dutch. At, uh, at Dutch I mean, music. really. Shout out to, Dutch, shout Wiggling, out to Dutch, a former guest of the show yes. who is aging in reverse. Oh, man. Sure. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Benjamin Button. 
<laughs> so going back to your career before we yes. get out yeah, of yeah. here, what do you think we can do um, to increase uh, the respect and being valued as black attorneys? Because I think there is still this perception that the best attorneys, let's just say it. Are Rappers the, do this yeah, all the time the and I hate it. The Jewish people, they're the best attorneys, yeah. whatever. And I've, I heard it in my career. Yeah. Um, I've even heard things like, we know the Jew Jewish attorneys are the best, but I'm coming to you because I need a deal, like financially. I need Someone told you that? Yes. Someone oh, who I looks like you and me told me that. I'd um, had a problem with that. So what what can we do to really kind of change this misconception that we're less than or we're not um, we're not A1? The white man's like, ice is colder. That's what yeah. Combat used to say. Yeah. Years mm -hmm. um, honestly, I would say we control what we can control. Yeah. So really, it's about the perception and our own minds mm -hmm. and whatever that self-love or self-hate means where you think that um, I got to go across the, I got to go across the street to get um, a, a better deal or they're going to respect me if I come in with this guy's because if I'm fighting what this person who's not from my community that already thinks of me less than to me is like, I'm not concerned about what you think of already. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned with the next attorney that's coming behind me or so opening doors so the person that's coming behind me doesn't have the same fight or the same struggles. So I really, I've, I'm all about focusing on like our community and what we, what we can control. Cause really I feel like if we build what we can, like we got everything that we, that, that we need. Like obviously you got, you have to do business with everyone, but we should be able to control that, control that narrative. And so it's like, so if like in that instance where you like you had that client it was like you do you understand what you're actually what you're actually saying right so it was like when you see Beyonce's team walks in and her whole and and her whole team looks like what it looked like at at Beachella like um what does that what does that what does that economy look like what does that mean so if you're coming to me and you're saying like oh well I got to go to these attorneys that look like this to get a better deal do you understand and like you're actually presenting a different narrative than this like pro black agenda that we're talking about and and a lot of artists. They've been talking about this even from um, I was a huge fan of Nipsey Hussle. Mm -hmm. And it, I like that his sense of community and consciousness and what people are talking about. But I'm like, but that extends to everything. It's not just right. who's in who's on the mic or who's in front of the camera, but it's also who's behind it as well. So from the business side, so it's like, OK, what does your accountant look like? What is your um, you know, what does your lawyer look like? What is what is your manager? What is it? What is your agent? What does your agent look like? Um, that's something I see. I've I go into these agencies; they're not very diverse. Right. So I think, and again, actually, shout out to Jaya Thomas. Mm -hmm. um, this is a conversation that she's been talking about. She has a platform called Diverse Representation, which is all about promoting black attorneys, black publicists, um, black agents in the industry. And so it was like, there's people that have been doing this for years at the highest levels. And so it's really about changing the perception in people's mind. But again, like I said, I still, not as much today, but I mean, I don't even know if like Jay-Z has some of those lines. I don't know if he would say that today, but um, I think it really starts with, starts within our own community because it's just like, we don't, I don't think we should be spending the energy to try to Absolutely. fight these people that already think that like we're less than or I'm like, no, we need to control the narrative that we have um, in our, in our own community and showing like sense of value because the the reality to what that person told you about like, oh, well, if I go street, go across the street, I can get the deal. But the, the flip side of that is what happens when you don't have that deal? Right. Is that person still going to pick up your phone call? Is that person still going to be able to like take time to meet up with you or because all 
the, in- the entertainment industry is going to ebb and flow. So if you got somebody that's going to be with you through the ebb and the flows and not just when it's flowing, um, I think those relationships, being able to build those type of relationships, I think that's something that's going to um, transcend, you know, what my what my attorney looks like or have me having to feel like I need to have my attorney look a certain way. So I'm just like, you shouldn't buy into that at all. I think that's a good place to end on. <laughs> so uh, where can people find out about you and your practice? Um, TheAnthonyLawGroup.com. Um, and then I'm also on um, Twitter, um, which is actually where I met Dutch. Mm-hmm. Um, G-R-O-C-K. And then also the same handle on Instagram as well, too. Awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. This is fantastic. And I feel like I had fun. You know, I feel like I'm back at the student, you know, yeah. student center or whatever, or the yeah. lounge at the law school back <laughs> in the day. Um, so thanks so much for coming. Thank on. you for having me. And to our listeners, we have many um, aspiring creatives, entrepreneurs, business owners, those who are in it already but need to tighten up their business. Mm-hmm. A lot of you call me. Don't call me. Call Gerard. <laughs> call um, me. So now I have a new, new yes. referral source. Yes, uh, yes, yes, as, yes. As well. So get your business right. Get your contracts together. Definitely. Get organized. Up. It, it, I know it's expensive, but it costs less to get it right from beginning yeah. to fight about it later. Yeah. That's what I always tell people. Being cheap will cost you. That's exactly. my dad's quote. Exactly. Being cheap will cost you. So um, <laughs> make sure you follow Gerard and the work that he's doing. Reach out to him if you need legal guidance and you're here in the New York City metro area. Um, also, as we always say, like, share, subscribe to this podcast. And lastly, remember, to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 